0: This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. So, I think one of the most common questions we get when people are starting out investing is which broker are you using? And I have to admit, I'm coming clean because I have recently
1: switched. I'm now using Stake. I have actually also been checking out Stake.
0: I really love their motto. It really sums up how I feel about investing. Stake your claim to the future
1: with Stake. so funny. (laughs) I get it. I also really like that they have recently launched ASX Trading where you can buy 2,000 plus ASX stocks and ETFs with the lowest fee that I've seen so far, which is just $3 per trade.
0: Plus, it's on a chess-sponsored model, which is my favorite type of model for
1: brokers. (laughs) You like the chess-sponsored, I like the fact that it's really sleek, has a modern interface, and it honestly has made getting into the markets very seamless. I know from when I transferred my portfolio across, they've developed a transfer method that could have your
0: portfolio out of your current broker and into stake in under an hour. It was so straightforward and almost completely paperless, bar one signature.
1: And if you're not sold yet, when you transfer your portfolio of $1,000 to stake, they'll give you $0 ASX trading for a year, which is literally unbeatable. Visit
0: hellostake.com or find them in the App Store. This does not constitute financial advice.
1: Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the wondry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders, past and present, and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. <coughs>
0: Hello and welcome to You're In Good Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always, I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. How are you Mads today? We are catching up today on a Sunday. Isn't that fun? So fun. (laughs) It's my favorite recording day, I think, provided I'm not hungover.
1: (laughs) Which I am not, for the record. (laughs) It actually is because we just end up chatting for so long and it's really nice. Instead of being like, we've got to go, it's eight o'clock, get to work. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: normally record before work, so it's kind of a mad rush at the end of the app, but much more relaxed in this environment.
1: It is. Well, coming up on today's episode, we are actually going to be talking about four CEOs on ASX and US listed companies that we believe are changing the world. And I think one of the reasons that we wanted to talk about these leaders is because when we talk about investing, we often say that you look at the management team before making an investment decision. So it'd be nice to kind of highlight the kind of things that we do like to look at in these people.
0: Yeah, I also think that this is probably one of my favorite aspects of investing. Like I just find it so interesting learning about companies and seeing all the really cool things that leaders are doing and how they're using their influence for like the greater good. I find it really like inspiring, gets me all excited.
1: (laughs) But before we get started, then I thought it'd be a perfect opportunity to ask, even though we're about to talk about so many CEOs, (laughs) but if you could have dinner with one CEO, who would it be and why?
0: This is such a good question. I've actually been thinking to myself that my next, the next time we get asked this question, I would say Ash Barty without question i maybe like, could I say she's CEO? Wait, is
1: Ashbardi a CEO? (laughs) No,
0: but normally we just say, if you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? Oh, right, right. Did you not even speak up and that's why we're asking this question?
1: No, no. I just thought like, okay, she's finished her career in tennis. Like what CEO has she just become? I mean, she basically is CEO of tennis. She's such a boss. But okay, CEO. Okay.
0: Technically my person is probably not or isn't a CEO anymore, but I want to talk about Michelle Hepworth. When I looked her up before, I found this headline and I just think it encapsulates my thoughts perfectly. It said, meet the hardworking country girl who became an investment banker and is now acting CEO of RM Williams at age 29 after a 15 second interview with Australia's richest man. How could you not want to sit down for dinner and talk about that? I just think she is quite remarkable and I would love to get her in a room and just pick her brains and find out how it all happened.
1: I actually do remember the day that I saw that in the Australian Financial Review about wow. it and I was like, what? I How? know. That's cool. Like, <laughs> uh, is that what we're going to be doing in three years? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Considering I know nothing about RM Williams, probably not.
0: <laughs> uh, who would you want to have dinner with? Which CEO?
1: Oh, I always would probably say... There's a couple of a handful of people that I would pick, but one of them is definitely mm, Jack Dorsey. So cool. uh, he was the previous CEO of Twitter, now the CEO of Square, which is now Block. Bit confusing, but I just feel like his life events are totally insane. Like, especially the fact that he worked at Twitter and Block yeah. at the same time. <laughs> like, what, how how do you have time? I'm so I don't I don't get it. They're two of the biggest companies Does in the world. But anyway, <laughs> but he also just seems like a total wacky yeah. character not to offend anyone by saying that but like i just would love to have dinner with him and like understand how he ticks and i'm sure it would be like a really fun dinner as well i feel like whenever we do instagram
0: posts about jack i always try and find a new photo of him to like use on the post and he's just always wearing that stupid tie dye t-shirt and i'm like always tie dye
1: and it's like either yeah. beard or no beard. And when there's beard, there's so much oh my God, it's beard. It's really clutching with the blue and orange <laughs> aesthetic on our Instagram. <laughs> I want to jump into it then because I'm pretty excited to talk about some of these CEOs who are really trying to transform the future. All of the CEOs are bringing to the table today. You can invest in on either the ASX or the NASDAQ or And I always get so confused in the U.S. (laughs) There's two different exchanges. (laughs) The New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, the New York Stock Exchange. Anyway. Well, anyway, (laughs) you can invest in these companies is what I'm trying to say.
0: (laughs) Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Stake, which puts Wall Street and ASX trading at your fingertips. The platform is all about staking your claim to the future with investing, which is what makes them such a great sponsor for today's ep as we discuss CEOs of ASX and U.S. listed companies that are changing the world as we know it. So the first CEO that I want to talk about today has been the CEO of one of Australia's largest businesses since 2018. They are very well recognised as a global climate leader. Number four, damn it, I was trying to be gender neutral, but now I've just ruined it. <laughs> they, she is number four in Fortune's most powerful women in the world and she is leading the way as one of just 18 female CEOs of Australia's top 300 listed companies. Any ideas who I'm talking about?
1: You know what's really unfortunate about this? I do know who you're talking about and the only reason I really think I do is because we have such limited space Bloody female CEOs on the ASX. I so know. it just makes it so much easier, which is just the crappiest thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I should have tried to keep it gender neutral. But I am, of course, talking about Shamara Wickramanayaka.
1: So, Mads, I'm really interested. Like, we have spoken about Shamara so much on this podcast. And I feel like we probably speak about Macquarie Bank to the point that, like, people might think that we're bloody advertising for them. <laughs> But like we've never really delved into Shamara and like her leadership style. So can you give a bit of insight to some reasons that you like her as a leader?
0: Yes, I adore her as a leader. Um, She's very interesting. She's quite reserved and private and she's actually very rarely gives interviews, but she is also one of the most like powerful and I I think well-known sort of figureheads Definitely from Australia, but sort of really on a global stage when it comes to the environment. So I think for her, it really is like values-based leadership. And she's really sort of leading with action, I guess.
1: So what do you mean by that in terms of like, Acacia, she's running, running a bank is she running the bank with action? Is she doing stuff on the side? What's What does that mean?
0: A few things, or basically both. In 2018, she was appointed as a commissioner of the Global Commission on Adaptation. So this is an initiative led by the World Bank, and basically they work to try and speed up how we're responding to climate change. So she's taken a real sort of lead in that role. The following year, she was also appointed to the UN's Climate Finance Leadership Initiative, and that brings together leading financial institutions to raise private capital to create climate solutions.
1: Oh, so that's that's interesting that she's raising private capital because it's like she is obviously the CEO of a company in financial services, and a lot of financial services is around private capital. And when I think personally of like environmental issues or action, I do think of like the government and what they do. So it's kind of interesting that it's got this different perspective of raising private funds rather than, I guess, changing government policy.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really cool. And I think that leads perfectly into um, when she represented Australia, quite literally, at the COP26 conference in Glasgow, Glasgow, I can't say that word, (laughs) last year (laughs) in 2021. So as the leader of Macquarie, she really went and was able to use her power as the CEO of a really large influential bank. And what she did when she was there was tried to find a hundred billion US dollars or 137 Australian billion or U- well, Australian billion US dollars. <laughs> A year in financing from governments, multilateral development banks and the private sector institutions to try and pay for the decarbonisation of emerging countries over the next 10 years.
1: And that's also interesting as well because she's focusing on emerging countries. So it's not just like I can see in the sense that when you say it's value based, it's not like, oh, how do we prop up Australia only and how do we prop up our company only? It's like she can obviously see that we live in a globalised world. And for us to all succeed, you need to make sure that we're all so, you know, looking for environmental solutions globally.
0: Yeah. And Macquarie is like the head office is in Australia, but it is a very global bank. And I think the coolest thing is like they're really, or Shamara has made them really quite well, I guess, positioned to be able to do this kind of work. You know, Macquarie Group has its fingers in many pies, but one of those pies is its role as the world's largest infrastructure advisor and manager. So it basically means that they're in this awesome position where they can drive decarbonisation and they can drive this really shift to a global green economy. They were a really early mover in like the global renewable energy sector. um, And now they are just absolutely benefiting from these transitions that are taking place.
1: I think it's a common theme that we'll see with a lot of transformative leaders that we talk about, but it's like these people now have more influence than mm. I guess like the public sector and it's really cool yeah. that they can kind of use that influence to to do these kind of things.
0: I think that's where their power really lies.
1: Okay, so obviously value-based leadership and caring about broader social issues is important to you for a leader. Is there anything else in Shamara that I guess something that you admire?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that she really places of quite a clear value on diversity in leading Macquarie. So she did give a very rare interview in the second half or late 2020, and she was quoted as saying, we need the richest possible combination of different ages, genders, cultural and racial backgrounds, diversity of sexual orientation, and socioeconomic backgrounds and experiences, and regardless of any disability. And I just feel like that, Embodies what I look for when I'm investing in companies. Because if you do not have diversity of thought, if you do not have diversity of skills, how can that company be the best that it can possibly be?
1: Yeah. And also having a leader that understands that you need diversity of opinion to actually succeed. Because I think in my mind, that also shows that, like, she'd be the type of leader that wouldn't be. You know, scared of feedback or mm. debate. And I think that's really important in when you're investing in a company to see that they are happy to bring in all those opinions so that they can grow into the future and not just like be based on one person's understanding of like life, yeah, I guess. Totally. That just sounds very no. <laughs> philosophical, but you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think something that I loved and like, I guess kind of resonated with, with like our mission with this podcast and investing is she was asked about um, the fact that Macquarie at the time was attracting just 35% of job applicants who were females and her main message to females was, why let boys have all the fun? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Not that I think everyone would agree with you that saying going to a finance job is fun, but... <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm on, I'm on your camp. But I I'm just Everyone's <laughs> allowed
0: to have their own interests. It's Okay. <laughs> And then I think the last thing to point out is like since she became leader, she has been a complete boss and Macquarie is doing so incredibly well. So she recently led Macquarie to another quarter of record earnings with the stock price up 86% since she took over in 2018, which is mind blowing
1: wow wouldn't you be so proud of that you'd be like that's me no (laughs) she'd be like that's me and my team yeah
0: no she would be like that is all the wonderful in fact I'm pretty sure I was reading something yesterday where she's like completely deflects any praise that comes her way and she's like "No, it's the wonderful team we have around us (laughs) it's just it's really speaks to her personality and what she's like as a leader
1: so how do you think Shamara is staking her claim in the future of Australian and global business
0: I think she is using her position of power to accelerate the entire world when it comes to climate action.
1: Well, to sum it up then, we've got value-based, cares about diversity, two of the traits we look at in an incredible leader.
0: Okay, now I want to guess who the first leader that you're bringing to the table is, so hit me.
1: Okay, so they, they are a (laughs) CEO of an ASX 200 company. This company recently joined the asx 200 in the past year and since this person joined the company the valuation of the company has gone from 12 million to around 1.3 billion depending on where the stock price is for the day
0: is that all you're gonna give me
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> okay you don't um, have to get it i have no idea <laughs> That I actually, was very, very vague.
1: I'm so sorry about that, but I honestly really struggled to get facts. That's that like, okay.
0: Okay. okay. <laughs> what, who is it? What's the company? Let's
1: go. Okay. So my CEO is Leslie Chong. who oh, is
0: ImuGene. Is the go. CEO
1: okay. of ImuGene? Yes, correct. Nice. I did actually have a fun fact saying she was a woman in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, maths, but then I'd give away woman. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, a bit like I did.
1: <laughs> you know how competitive I am, Matt, So I just
0: yes, had to. <laughs> so for those who don't know Imogene, can you maybe just give us a quick little background on what the company is, what they do? Yes.
1: Yeah, so the first thing I would say is if you want some more background, I'd go over to Equity Mates. They actually interviewed Leslie very recently and she gives a much better deep delve into the company than what I will do. But Long and the short of it is that they are changing the paradigm of how cancer patients are treated with cancer therapies. Um, They have a couple of different therapies, but they are really using immunotherapy, so our own immune systems, to fight cancer in the body, which is very different, I guess, from the traditional methods of cancer-fighting technologies and drugs. So it's a really incredibly, incredibly cool company um, that has a lot of technicalities that if you want to learn about, probably have to use their resources rather than my own words
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I can already sort of see and imagine how Imogen really is I guess changing the world but can you tell us a little bit more about I guess Leslie what she's like what makes her a great leader
1: Yeah so I guess I wanted to frame this with like a couple of the things that I look for in a leader and this will also really depend on like what kind of industry they're in so this is obviously a med tech company which is a bit of a riskier industry and so my first trait that I really see in Leslie is that she is a risk taker I mean Mm. she's a female as a minority in STEM, the STEM line of work. And one of the things that she said is like when she's asked why she entered into this industry, she's like, she said, I entered because it's very lucrative, meaning it's profit-seeking and usually more profit-seeking, you know, um, industries are a little bit riskier. Mm. And the reason why I think this is really important is because you need to have a leader who's willing to take risk for the company to grow obviously that can be calculated risk and it needs to be calculated risk. But if you have someone that's really risk averse in a position like this, sometimes the results for that company when they are in that growth phase are going to be a little more diluted because, you know, they're not really taking that next step into like trying to change the future and in their decisions that they make.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense, but I guess it kind of surprises me a little bit in that quote you said, I entered into the line of work because it's lucrative because I, I guess I imagine, and maybe I'm sure this is the case as well, but like if you're going into this line of work, if you're going into cancer research, like I would have thought it was maybe more motivated by the purpose, I guess.
1: Yeah, you're definitely right. I think in the terms of saying that it's like profit-seeking is that like the healthcare industry is massive and there's so many different companies that embody that and the medtech segment is definitely more profit-seeking. But you make a good point because a second part of a leader that I really like is when it's a non-founder-led business, so um, Leslie wasn't one of the founders of the business, it's a good question to ask like why they're personally motivated to be a CEO of that mm, company. So true. And I think in this case, Leslie speaks about very openly that her father was diagnosed with gastric cancer and her mother with lung cancer. And so she really wanted to have a career that it was like a part of like solving this puzzle of cancer and having that really lifelong change.
0: Yeah. And I think it's so crucial to kind of have that ongoing determination in this line of work because there are some like really tough regulatory hurdles that you need to jump over. And, you know, there's lots of licenses that you need to do different drug trials. And, like, it is such an important thing that you are working towards and fighting for.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's when you do have those kind of rigorous hurdles, it means that, like, it's not easier to give up, people don't want to give up, but you just want to make sure that you do have a leader that's like, no, I really want this. And Mm. I think for Immune Gene, they've seen such crazy success over the past, you know, year or so, especially on the stock exchange. And it's because they have actually gone through all those rigorous processes and succeeded and got a lot of their approvals, their FDA, IND approvals recently. And sorry, that sounds like a whole bunch of jargon, but all I wanted to sum up and say in that is that, she led her team through that really rigorous process and they succeeded.
0: Yeah, quite, quite incredible, really. Is there anything else that really strikes you when it comes to Leslie as a leader who is staking her claim in the future?
1: I feel like the last thing that I really like about her is that she talks about a really, when she does interviews, she does say you know, to be a good leader, you need to be really curious. And it kind of brings back to that element that we've already spoken about is that you need to have the flexibility to look at problems from different angles. And the fact that she speaks about that very openly means that I understand that that's the type of person that she wants to be leading that company. And in doing so, and in being that kind of leader, she is staking her claim because honestly, she's revolutionizing cancer treatment. And a lot of the drugs and the trials are going into phase two trials in Australia, which is an incredible achievement. And it's a completely different type of cancer therapy. So I will be fascinated to see where this goes in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely hoping that they are as successful as possible for a whole range of reasons on this one.
1: Well, before we jump into your third leader, and I'm hoping you make my guessing game a little bit harder for me, (laughs) (laughs) we are going to take a quick ad break for our sponsors, but we'll be right back to hear Maddie's third leader.
0: For a while, I've been thinking I might have been paying too much in brokerage fees with so many low-cost brokers around, but now I've discovered there's a broker called Stake that's offering $3 flat ASX trades on all 2000 ASX stocks and ETFs.
1: $3 is definitely the lowest that I've heard of, but I feel like moving brokers can be such a pain.
0: Yeah, I actually started using it, but I put off transferring my portfolio for ages, I'd done it before and there was so much paperwork, but the push for me was when Stake announced if you transfer your ASX portfolio over $1,000 to
1: Stake, they'll give you 12 months of $0 ASX trades. That is so good. (laughs) (laughs) But how was the transfer?
0: Stake has developed a patent pending portfolio transfer method. So it's almost entirely paperless. You do it right inside the app. And after a quick signature, they've seen full portfolios come across from other brokers in under an hour. Plus, they don't charge you a thing.
1: So, make the switch to Stake today. It's fast, easy, free, and rewarding. Visit Hallostake.com or find them in the App Store. This does not constitute financial advice.
0: Uh, my third leader for you, Soph. <laughs> oh, God. Is the co-founder, or was, the co-founder of electronic payments firm PayPal. It's Elon working Musk. Working... <laughs> Are you serious? Working? I'm sorry. I didn't realize that this was this, this much of a competition. Working to revolutionise transport both on Earth and in space, named (laughs) Times Magazine's most influential person of 2021 and, if you didn't know who I'm talking about yet, has recently become the largest shareholder and board member of a social media platform. Ooh, who is it?
1: (laughs) I am actually so surprised that you have, and I'm excited for this discussion of bringing Elon Musk to the table because he Mm. is a very controversial leader.
0: I think my thought process here is like, talking about influential leaders and like in no world can you deny that Elon Musk is influential whether it be for good or for bad
1: no I love it and I also think there's so many traits of him that would be considered bad in like Mm. the typical management style sense that still leads him to have super successful like companies so let's Let's chat about it.
0: (laughs) This really leads into a key trait of his that is a bias towards action. And what I mean by that is like his highly erratic behavior. So it kind of seems like something literally comes into his mind and he just does it. He doesn't think about anything.
1: Yeah, which is a good thing because he gets shit done compared to yes. other, I mean, potential people, but he's also gotten into a bit of trouble for it as well.
0: I think some classic examples of this are the way that he's being able to influence like the price of Bitcoin or Dogecoin after his um, appearance on Saturday Night Live with his like bizarre references. But I mean, by the nature of this as well, like he's also gotten into quite a bit of trouble with the SEC over his ability to kind of like manipulate markets, which is obviously not a good thing
1: so we know that he likes to take a bit of action what are some other traits about him i mean the
0: other thing i do want to touch on one other sort of more negative or darker side which is like his autocratic leadership style which he has Mm. become quite well known for so there are all these allegations which i mean elon does deny that he rage fires people and he has really developed like this atmosphere of fear at tesla in particular so according to the wall street journal Musk started headbutting a car at the California Tesla factory after he learned that the assembly line wouldn't stop when people got too close to it, which, I mean, it sounds like a safety feature. But apparently he was saying, like, I don't see how this could hurt me I just want the cars to keep moving which is like so absurd
1: I know and I think one of the most common things you read about Elon Musk is that he's a nano micromanager like even (laughs) more than a micromanager (laughs) micro micro (laughs) well I just find it so confusing because like I feel like anything I've ever learned is like micromanagement gets you nowhere but it's crazy that someone like something like Tesla is so successful but they have someone who's looking into every single detail
0: so I think that brings us I guess to the visionary side of Elon, which, I mean, you cannot deny. Plenty of people are very quick to write off Elon's very crazy ideas. But I mean, I think he has like really strong vision and ambition and it quite literally is changing the world. So, you know, whilst COVID-19 like completely shattered global economies and it put so many people out of work, we saw Tesla's stock price increase 700% over the period. And, You know, Musk was a really early investor in Tesla and the company has since become like an undeniable leader in the electric vehicle space.
1: I think another really cool thing about Elon, especially in the electric vehicle space, is he has made unbeatable technology and he's made a lot of it available to the public. So you have Mm. all these car companies, which are behemoth car companies that have been around for a very long time. And they still can't make a car that matches a Tesla. I know.
0: And then add to this, Elon has been saying for years that Tesla cars are on the verge of complete autonomy in his mission to create self-driving cars, which, I mean, hopefully will just bring a whole new level of safety to driving in the future because we'll hopefully be able to just remove human error completely. One thing that I want to touch on, which I find absolutely fascinating is that Tesla has never spent a dollar on advertising or endorsements. I think that is so wild when you think about how popular it is.
1: Well, I think it's like what I would draw that into is like he's a very unconventional leader. Like he doesn't like to follow the status quo. If he thinks like he's very visioned on if his product is good, it'll tell the world that himself, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, I think it really speaks to his like influence as a leader that they don't need to spend money on things like that. I actually read something today that said someone tried to suggest a like marketing budget to them and I think he fired them. <laughs> I should oh not my be god. Laughing. Sorry, it's really messed up. But I think that really just sums up the whole conversation we have had so far.
1: Sorry. So we've got a positive, thank God. Visionary. <laughs> Is there any other kind of traits that you admire in him as a leader?
0: Yeah, I think What really makes him like so transformational as a leader is he's just like wild optimism and self-belief that he can do things. So I think this brings us nicely to SpaceX, which is another one of his companies, which is is trying to revolutionize space technology with the ultimate goal of (laughs) enabling people to live on other planets. So Elon has a vision to establish a permanent human presence on Mars, saying, and I quote, We don't want to be one of those single planet species. We want to be a multi-planet
1: species. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely got huge vision for the future.
0: Yeah. And then one of the units of SpaceX, which this is probably one of my favorite stories to come out recently, Um, it's Starlink. And they pledged to offer high-speed internet to places where no such services could normally be made. And I think one of the incredibly powerful things that Elon did recently was that when war broke out in Ukraine and the country faced threats of Russian cyber attacks and shelling that had the potential to take down the internet in the entire country, Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation actually tweeted a direct plea to Musk, love it, really getting on his level, urging him to send help. And Musk replied just hours later saying that Starlink service is now active in Ukraine, more terminals on route. So really using his power for good there in a world where we just like increasingly rely on the internet. And I think for like weapons and things as well.
1: Yeah, I think the Starlink one is particularly interesting because it's kind of an idea that's never been thought of. Like the way mm. that we get our internet is through bouncing off the big satellites that are orbiting out there in space but now he's sending up kind of mini ones that still sit in within our atmosphere and a lot of people just wouldn't even think of that idea nor think it was possible so it's cool that he can really think outside the box and provide different solutions in a space that's you know we've had around for a very long time the internet since what 20 years now
0: yeah definitely I think the last thing that I just have to touch on because we couldn't not um And we are recording this on the 10th of April because who knows how fast news will move on this. But um, it has just been announced that Elon Musk has become the largest shareholder of Twitter and also a board member at that. Um, The Journal podcast did a really great episode on this named Elon Musk Twitter Surprise. So we'll pop the link in the episode notes. Highly recommend having a listen. Um, Elon has gone from being one of the loudest voices on Twitter to the company's largest shareholder. So I think this is one to definitely keep a close eye on what is going to happen. But in, I just feel like classic Musk uh, form, once it got announced, he got on Twitter and tweeted,
1: oh, hi, lol. (laughs) This is interesting because this is probably the one thing that I don't love about how he is not necessarily as a leader, but maybe as a leader. But, you know, he talks about free speech being Mm -hmm. one of the most important parts of our society. And then he goes and buys a stake in one of the biggest speech platforms there is out there. So I will find it very interesting to see how he uses his influence in this space.
0: Well, and I am going to just point listeners to the journal podcast episode, but it actually kind of touches on how is this a play by Musk because we know that Twitter have removed people from the platform before, you know, where he is quite controversial often on this platform. Is he trying to sort of, you know, is he trying to use this position to prevent Twitter from ever, I guess, silencing him on this? But we're not going to touch on that too much more because I think that could be a whole episode in itself.
1: So it's pretty obvious how he's staking his claim (laughs) in the future. What's your interpretation of it? I
0: think Elon Musk is revolutionizing transport both on Earth and in space and has the potential to use his power really for incredible things.
1: All right, well, I'll jump back in then because after <laughs> we've had Elon, we'll follow with um, someone new. So, Maddie, this person bought their first computer through frequent flyer points. <laughs> what? Okay. They started their first company straight out of university and they have a minority stake in an NBA team
0: this is just savage by you
1: <laughs> you know the only reason that I actually did all these ones is because I got a lot of these facts out of their how I built this episode with Guy Raz uh-huh. and you love that podcast so I thought. I know hey. and
0: I actually like it because I feel like the way that you're doing it well I think the way that I'm doing it as well but you get to find out fun facts about them that you didn't necessarily <laughs> know <laughs>
1: Who are we talking about? (laughs) My leader that I'm bringing to the table is none other than the Mike Cannon-Brooks.
0: Ah, bought his first computer through frequent flyer points. Interesting, Mike.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so Mike Cannon-Brooks is the CEO of Atlassian. If you didn't know what Atlassian is, it's an Australian tech darling that's actually listed in the US and they are a team collaboration software company that helps companies organise, collaborate and communicate and there's actually two CEOs of Atlassian, co-founders, Mike cannon and also Scott Farquhar, but the reason why I'm focusing in on Mike is because Scott has famously said himself, even that his genius over the past years is to make sure that Mike does about 90% of the work and that Scott only does about 10 So, we're I mean, he sounds like Mike. the leader that we should be really
0: looking at. That sounds like genius leadership,
1: delegation at its finest. Yes, seriously.
0: Well, I think Atlassian is one of the great Australian tech stories where a company has absolutely kind of changed the world. But I'm very interested to hear about Smike in particular. What are some of your favourite sort of or do you think are the most defining leadership characteristics of Mike Cannonbrook's?
1: So the first one is definitely his authenticity and transparency. You know, he's very come as you are. I don't think I've ever seen him in a suit, not that I've ever seen him personally, but like all the photos of him online, Um, you know, he's very classic, uh, classic wears his T-shirt and his baseball cap. And I think really for me, like a leader that is happy to kind of show that they're just a normal human and they're doing their own thing is – I guess a really cool characteristic and then on the transparency side is that you know he's very well known for number one letting people in his company know what the company is up to understand what they're doing you know he doesn't keep anything under the rug because he's not very he's kind of like the same with Elon in the sense that he's like trying to shake up how society thinks about how companies should run and it's really funny because one of my favorite resources for when looking up leaders is Glassdoor, because they have like mm. a CEO <laughs> approval rating. And then you get comments about the CEO and stuff. And there's not a lot of cons. Like people don't write a lot of cons about it last year. But one of them was they give us too much information about the company.
0: <laughs> God, I wonder what Elon Musk would say about him. <laughs>
1: Probably not very good things. Yeah.
2: Doesn't sound like it.
1: <laughs> no, so I think that authenticity and transparency that he has, you know, with his employees but also the public markets is something that I'd really admire in how he kind of takes his company forward.
0: I love it. Another thing that I really like about Mike Cannonbrooks is and I we did a Instagram post about this late last year, but it was that him and his wife, Annie, have pledged $1.5 billion of their personal wealth to climate projects by 2030. And I know for a fact that as a leader, he is very, like, I guess, socially focused.
1: Yeah, so that would be my second point, that he is very socially focused. He has made a point to say that... He knows that if he is not interested or represents that he's interested in social and environmental issues, then he is going to struggle in the long term to even keep staff in his business and he's very aware of that. So Mike Cannon-Brooks is one of the most vocal business leaders in Australia about climate and energy issues. I think you know very famously a bid for AGL, which is one of Australia's biggest energy providers, mainly based off coal because he's trying to close the gap of using coal by 2030. It would be cool to touch
0: on this just a little bit. Did you, like if you were an AGL shareholder, would you have been happy about that or sad about that? Because like AGL gets its money from these plants, but then here is Mike trying to, I guess, change the company to be more sustainable long-term.
1: Well, see, this is what's interesting, right? I was, I've was listened to a couple of podcasts about this bid and one of them was saying that coal companies and coal plants like historically create a loss for the company. Mm. Like they're not that profit making. And when you look at AGL's share price historically, it's been going down. Like it hasn't yeah, been, right. you know, on the uphill. And I think also maybe people that invested in, invested in AGL maybe don't really care as much about environmental issues as the average yeah. other person. But when he did go to make the bid, the share price climbed. So people obviously saw that there's a potential that this bid could happen because maybe he's influential enough to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And then we saw a bit of a climb in the share price. So I think it's really interesting... And it's something that he's still determined to actually make happen. So even though the bid has been rejected, he said, well, I'm not going to stop. We'll just see what happens and we'll keep going for it.
0: I think it's just such a cool example of leaders looking outside the box and like really using their influence to make like proper change in the world. I just, when that happened, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever.
1: (laughs) I think it ties back to that thing that we've been saying a lot over the, on the podcast recently is that, you know, businesses have so much impact in society Mm. and business leaders that understand and emulate that kind of leadership and want to improve the community as a whole, we're seeing their business, you know, and it's just in a metric sometimes on the ASX, and on the stock market, on the NASDAQ, whatever, that their business is, is going up because investors want to invest in change.
0: Is there anything else about Mike that you want to cover off?
1: I was just going to say that, you know, not all companies are founder led. So I kind of mentioned that if something isn't founder led, you look for someone's personal motivation to why they'd want to be a CEO of that company. But in this case, Mike is one of the co-founders. When you listen to him speak about the company, you know, he tells funny stories about when they're in the startup phase and him and Scott would alternate nights that they would go to sleep because they would be servicing people (laughs) around the world and taking calls at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., you know. And I think that just kind of shows his dedication to the company and he really sees it that it's got potential in the future. Um, So it's one of those things that I do look for when I'm making investing opportunities if they are a founder-led business.
0: Okay, so we have covered Macquarie, listed on the ASX ticker MQG. We've done Imugene ASX ticker IMU, Tesla, NASDAQ with the ticker TSLA, and Atlassian, also listed on the NASDAQ with ticker TEAM team, which I just love.
1: <laughs> you know what's so funny? We didn't discuss what CEOs we were picking, and mm. we have both picked a female each. we both picked a male each. we both picked an ASX and a NASDAQ. <laughs> That is weird, but Let's I like go. it.
0: <laughs> so in tune. I'm actually surprised that we didn't pick one of the same CEOs, which would have thrown a bit of a spanner into the works, but luckily we did not.
1: I love hearing about what people have to say about management of companies. So we've obviously run through a couple of the things that we look out for today, but I think it would be really cool to make this more of an interactive conversation in our Facebook group, YIGC, Investing Podcast Discussion Group, because- I want to know what people's favorite leaders are and why.
0: Yeah, I definitely think, like I said at the top of the episode, it's one of my favorite parts of investing and researching companies, really getting into the minds of leaders and seeing what kind of incredible influence they can have on the world around us. As always, you can also join the conversation on Instagram at YIGC Podcast and on TikTok YIGC Podcast, And we would love for you to follow or subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app. But whilst you're also in your podcast app, we would love for you to go for a little bit of a search because we have a new latest podcast in the Equity Mates Network launching tomorrow called The Dive.
1: Now, this is an interesting one off the back of this episode because often we'll find our business news and business information about leaders and all sorts of other things through these news podcasts. So, The Dive talks about stories that matters, brings in a broader perspective, and doesn't use all the dense jargon that leaves you behind.
0: Three times a week, your host and our wonderful producer, Sasha Kelly, is joined by the team at Equitymates as we answer a different question inspired by the news of the day. Here is a sneak peek.
2: One of my favourite times of year. It's awards season for the cinema.
0: The nominees for the best achievement in directing are...
2: And a tradition is the Oscars award campaign, what it all builds to, and one of the worst kept secrets in all of show business. While they're technically not allowed, most studios do them. And they do it in a big way. As in, big investments made up to $15 million. Show me the money! It's Monday, the 28th of March, and today I want to know, why are these studios investing such big money here? Are these Oscars campaigns good investments? And if they are... Who is seeing the returns? I'm the king of the world! To help me talk about this topic, I'm really excited to get into this one today. I'm welcoming my colleague, Darcy Cordell. Darcy, welcome.
1: Thanks, Sasha. Let's do it.
2: All right. Well, you don't need
1: to- We will catch you next week.
2: Thank you so much for listening. Catch you then. Your in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Your in Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find asic resources and find a registered financial professional near you in the spirit of reconciliation equity mates media and the hosts of your in good company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and their connections to land sea and community we pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all aboriginal and torres strait islander people today
0: for a while i've been thinking i might have been paying too much in brokerage fees with so many low-cost brokers around But now I've discovered there's a broker called Stake that's offering $3 flat ASX trades on all 2000 ASX stocks and ETFs.
1: $3 is definitely the lowest that I've heard of, but I feel like moving brokers can be such a pain.
0: Yeah, I actually started using it, but I put off transferring my portfolio for ages. I'd done it before and there was so much paperwork. But the push for me was when Stake announced if you transfer your ASX portfolio over $1,000 to
1: Stake, they'll give you 12 months of $0 ASX trades. That is so good. (laughs) (laughs) But how was the transfer? Stake has developed
0: a patent pending portfolio transfer method. So it's almost entirely paperless. You do it right inside the app. And after a quick signature, they've seen full portfolios come across from other brokers in under an hour. Plus, they don't charge you a thing.
1: So make the switch to steak today. It's fast, easy, free and rewarding. Visit Hallostake.com or find them in the App Store. This does not constitute financial advice.